Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Kink. Growing up in Sofia, Bulgaria, Strahil Velchev became obsessed with dance music at the turn of the 90s, scoring his fix through a mix of radio and pirated cassettes. By the late 90s, he was making music at work and on friends' computers, though it wasn't until 2005 that a label finally agreed to release his tracks. In the nearly 15 years since, he's put out countless EPs and two albums, most recently the excellent Playground on Running Back, while his world-conquering live show still continues to push the boundaries of electronic music performance. Velchev discussed all this and more with Carlos Hawthorne when they shared the stage at the recent edition of Belfast's AVA Festival. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at RA-Exchange. The exchange with Kink is up next. had your sound check last night first impressions of the venue most of these people won't have seen it before what did you think it's pretty impressive i mean uh, the, when i arrived yesterday uh, the crew was still working on the uh, on, on the visual side of it uh, but it's it's really impressive already uh, there are four areas i'm gonna have the chance to play uh, the main stage and uh, everybody's gonna be surprised that we have we have something little we are getting ready for for today i don't want to reveal what it's gonna be but that's one of the reasons I had to come yesterday and, and practice a little bit. So please come over tonight and let's let's go for the best. <laughs> you know, you have obviously quite an extensive live setup. Is sound checking something you try to do before every gig? I try as much as possible, but sometimes it's uh, it's not possible to do it because uh, when I do festivals, I arrive in the country when the event is already running. So uh, I just have to show up, set up, and play and. Uh, it's quite difficult because uh, I try not to fiddle around too much with my gear when the previous artist is playing. So I give myself maybe 10 minutes before the start of my set. And many things can go wrong, but uh, yeah, it's a surprise. Uh, sometimes a defect can be an effect. That's what we say in Bulgaria. <laughs> um, from the very few times I've, I've DJed, I know that every time I'd go there, something would go wrong. You like, you just, you couldn't imagine it, but there'd be something, you know, just wouldn't be working. I imagine in your case, that must happen a stressful amount of times. Many things uh, can go wrong and um, it happens uh, maybe uh, in three gigs, one time everything is perfect. <laughs> but uh, we do dance music, I guess. Uh, if you have a, a kick drum, uh, a bit of a bass line and maybe uh, another percussive element like a hi-hat once in a while, that's, <laughs> that's enough. It's enough to keep me going. <laughs> and I guess it's the same for the people who come to dance. Yeah, because kind of imperfection is actually a part of your act like you like that live raw random like spontaneous feel 
Yeah, you get, I get, I get inspired by the situation. So if something goes wrong, when something goes wrong, I try to use it as, a, as an advantage. I remember a couple of years ago seeing Jeff Mills playing and uh, he's quite crazy using a couple of decks and a drum machine. So at some point, uh, one of his mixes was going wrong. Both beats were, were not completely uh, glued together. So uh, he, instead of uh, fixing the mix, he left the beats going even, even wrong further and further. And that's how somehow he created a new beat out of it. So I, I quite love that. <laughs> Do you sometimes make mistakes on purpose, like do things like that? No, never, never in purpose. Uh, but sometimes I can I can do something extreme which would look like a mistake, uh, and uh, like completely stopping the music, <laughs> which I shouldn't supposed to do in a in a in a club in a dance music environment. But uh, contrast is fun. I, I mean. Like how improvised is it? I mean, I guess, obviously, you play live a lot. Do you go in with an idea of the start is sorted? How does it work in that respect? I, I used to be a DJ before I become uh, a life act. And uh, most of my life, I've been into dance music. Uh, so my inspiration comes from people who play records, not that much uh, from bands. I think, as a DJ, I guess most of the experienced DJ out there know that it's good to have a couple of tunes ahead in your mind. Um, I, I guess that's what I do with my live set. I don't have any sort of uh, prearranged uh, track list, but uh, I have in mind a couple of uh, potential uh, combinations I can do uh, if, I, if I don't have uh, any ideas. And most of the times I just try to improvise. I try to look at the crowd and uh, I give them what they want when, when I feel it's the time and, and then I, I like to stress them once in a while and surprise them. So where does this... M myself too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you famously put on a real show. I mean, you could, you have such an arsenal of amazing tracks at your disposal. You could have just created a more simple live set, just you and a computer like, you know, many brilliant artists do. Like, why do the bigger thing? Why complicate things for yourself in this way? Uh, it's, it's a good question. Actually, uh, what I try to do is something very simple. When I moved from DJing to, to playing my music live, uh, okay, the regular way of doing is, uh, it is uh, having your tracks on stems and somehow mixing, mixing your, your parts live and uh, doing something like a concert. Uh, but for me, it was very difficult to, uh, to remember my own compositions. I'm, I'm not a real musician. I'm, I, I'm an engineer in the studio and uh, I used to be a DJ. And for me, it was difficult to count bars and to try to remember what I have to do in certain compositions. So I thought I have to simplify it uh, so I don't think during the performance, I just perform. So uh, the way I do it is more like DJing with, with loops and then playing live on top of that. So as much as my system looks complicated, actually it's very simple. It's just uh, dropping randomly some, some pre-recorded loops I have and then just playing keys and drums on top. And it's very spontaneous. I don't, I don't think about it. So it's quite, quite simple. In terms of the kind of showman aspect, is that something that you've got better at over the years? Is it something you've kind of cultivated? Yeah, I found that it's, uh, it's very important to, uh, to translate to the people uh, what you do. Uh, because in the beginning, when I was uh, performing my music live, after the show, I used to get uh, reactions like, wow, that was an amazing DJ set. And uh, I mean, that's still a compliment. Uh, but uh, for me, it was very important to uh, tell the people this is my own music, a lot of the parts, a lot of the melodies and rhythms I do, I do them right here in front of you. So a couple of years ago, I was 
playing uh, before my friend Mark Romboy, Systematic Records, and he was using this computer DJ setup and he had this little controller for tractor, for the software tractor. Uh, so this controller, uh, it was connected to some sort of delay effect, some, some effect. Uh, and Mark is a tall guy, so he, he was you know, standing up, he, he picked up this controller and he was just modulating the sound and people went crazy because I mean, he was, mo he, was, he was animating the crowd somehow, but at the same time he was actually processing the sound. And that was a direct translation of, uh, of, uh, of what he was doing. And I thought, yes, I, I can do that. I've always been very shy to, to be on stage and, and trying to pose and trying to, you know, move my hands for no reason. But after I saw, <laughs> after I saw Mark doing it, still interacting with the people, but while doing something, I thought, yes, I, I love it. I can do that. And since then, I try to pick up some machines I have, uh, show what I do. Sometimes I bring the, the machines to the crowd and I let the people actually do sound, touch, touch my machines. And uh, maybe 40% of the times it works. <laughs> and it's amazing. Interesting, because you have described yourself as a shy guy in real life. What is the kind of physical transformation when you come on stage? How do you feel? You just, does it feel like a, new, a different person? I think I become a different person. Also, I kind of overcome my my uh, my uh, uh, problem talking to the people. I'm here already talking for a couple of minutes, <laughs> and my voice is still here. I love to dance since I was a very little kid. So the moment I hear music I like, I just uh, forget about uh, anything that uh, stops me uh, to have a good time. I love to make my music, and uh, when I'm in the in the venue, in the club, in front of the crowds, when I look at the people, I, I look at them as my friends. It's just uh, like-minded people. We are in this basement or <laughs> or a venue, and we just jam together. That's that, that's how that's how I see it. So uh, it, when I'm in such a situation, I don't feel any any. Uh, I'm not shy anymore. Can you remember your first live set? I will never forget it. <laughs> I live in Bulgaria, in Sofia. Uh, so in 2002, there was this event, it's called uh, Electronic Music Festival. Uh, and they, uh, the, the organizers, uh, they wanted to have me and my DJ crew, but they said, we, we are interested in local life acts only. We don't want to have DJs. So uh, me and my friends, we went there, we brought two uh, computers, uh, without old school computers uh, with big, uh, deep screens, if you remember. One of the computer was running a very early version of Ableton Live, probably the first, the first version. That was the year 2002. The other computer was running early version of Native, Native Instruments Reactor, which uh, I intended to use as an effects processor for a hardware synth for a keyboard I brought. And the plan was amazing. We play Ableton Live from one computer and we have this East German analog synthesizer running through reactor from the other computer, but in reality, uh, nothing worked. So we had a couple of thousand people waiting for us. There was no sound of, out of Ableton coming, and um, I had this pre-recorded mix with my music, which I played from the second computer from a, from a software uh, media player called Winamp. <laughs> Maybe some of you remember. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I realized it's, it's, a, it's a live situation, it, it, the show must go on. So uh, I started to pretend I'm playing live with the synthesizer I had. Um, but it seems 
maybe, maybe I have a talent being on stage. So uh, it seems I've been very convincing doing what I do. And something I have to mention, at that time, we used to have this uh, TV show called Techno. It was uh, broadcasted every Saturday, prime time, uh, on the national television. So when I was pretending, playing with the synthesizer, I saw a camera, I saw the video crew from Techno, they come towards me and they start to film what I'm doing. So I thought, right, I have to be even more convincing. Uh, they came really close behind me. So I thought I'm going to open this reactor software. It's a really obscure modular uh, software synthesizer. I thought I'm going to open it on the screen and it looks very complicated. They're not going to know what I'm doing. So I started pretending I'm modulating the patch in the software. They filmed everything and uh, after two minutes I realized, wow, this mouse is not even connected to that computer. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you. So, uh, this, one was, uh, this one was on the television. Uh, but of course, they cut up the, the video, it looked amazing. And uh, the conclusion was, uh, it's, it's not scary to be on stage. Uh, as I say, you have uh, like-minded people in front of you. And uh, also, what I learned for myself, you know, when, when you start from a very early point, you cannot really go lower, so it gave me such a big confidence to, to go on. That was my first live set. <laughs> the only way is up. I'm curious about Sofia and Bulgaria. I mean, what was it like growing up there? Bulgaria used to be a communist country till 1989. There was not so much uh, information coming from the West till, uh, till that time. Till 1989, we used to have the same few types of food in the shops. We used to dress the same way. We used to have... Uh, grapefruits <laughs> only only around the New Year's uh, time. We used to be hungry for a Western culture. When the system changed and we become uh, a democratic country, the borders opened. Yeah, we were hungry for anything that comes from the West. And one of those things was uh, the dance music. It was techno and house. So uh, in the very early 90s, uh, for me, first of all, it was the radio shows and it was uh, those pirate cassette compilations you can find on the streets. There was no big market for, for records. It was too expensive for us. Uh, we were in the economical crisis at that time. But on the street, you can find those tapes with a variety of, of electronic music. You could listen it on the radio. And then uh, towards 1993, 94, we started to have these big raves. Uh, the promoters used to book totally unknown but very good uh, DJs from Europe and you can easily have five, six, ten thousand people in the room and the people haven't got any information, they didn't know what is the dub techno, they didn't know what is ambient or jungle drum bass, they would just go there completely open to discover something new, uh, new music, new fashion and uh, that was, that was a, a quite amazing start and was very, very inspiring, inspiring for me to be part of it, just as a, as a listener. Um, and did you have a crew of friends who were into the same thing as you? Was it an individual pursuit? I, have, I had music friends in the 90s, but for them it was something temporary. So uh, as much as this music, this, this, uh, as much as this movement came very strong in the 90s, it, came, it, it left as, as fast as it came because we, it was not a, a long way of building uh, tradition. We haven't got tradition in electronic music. So I think in the early 2000s, everything went down. And then it w was when I met my music friends, late 90s, but also early 2000s. 
And uh, in the year 2000, me and uh, three of my friends, we made a DJ crew together. And that's how we started to, uh, you know, exploring, uh, learning how to, how to play in venues, um, learning how to make music in a very limited situation, just with a, with a very slow computer, a small media speakers, and so on. It was a slow start. There's a bit of an Euro Eastern European boom at the moment. Uh, cities like uh, Tbilisi and Kiev uh, doing well. I mean, what's stopping Sofia from becoming one of those cities? We have a great potential. Uh, because uh, the law is very liberal. I'm not extremely familiar with the, with the type of licenses over there, but as long as I know, as long as I've played to a lot of clubs in, in Bulgaria, you can have the club open for, you know, as long as you want, 24, 48 hours. We are pretty easy with the, with the, with the uh, drinking restrictions. There are no restrictions for, for alcohol. Why the electronic music scene is not that big I don't have the answer, but uh, it was big and it will be big again, for sure. You still live there, you've always lived there throughout your career. Was a part of that um, to try and build something there? At some point, yes. In, in the period of 2000s, me and my friends, uh, our DJ crew is called Porno BPM for some strange reason. We, we played, the, the thing is, I was from a techno background, uh, moved to house. One of our Friends, his artist name is Zenk. He he was into breakbeats. My very good friend Konstantin Petrov K. He he showed me how to make music in the early nineties. Uh, sorry, in the late nineties, and and he was uh, he is into rather deep house sound, always in the, on the deeper side. And another guy, his name is uh, Sub. He was more on the he was playing house music, but really really strong and dark. We had little success at some point. We, we were trying to invite some uh, some guests as well, but uh, the music which we were pushing, it was not fitting uh, the area musically, so it didn't work for us. So uh, at the time when we were growing older, uh, my friends, they got uh, real jobs. I was too addicted to music, so I thought I need to push this further, but my decision was to focus more on the international scene and reduce my, my uh, time that I spent uh, for events in Bulgaria. So for the moment, we stopped doing anything, but I have power. So uh, I will, I would love to, to try to contribute again. I think the time is coming. But the, so far, we haven't done anything in, in the past maybe 10 years. Does it need a kind of like a great club that, that will attract? Uh, we have, as I said, we have the potential. Uh, the law is pretty liberal. We have good venues with good sound systems. At the moment, what I see in Sofia, uh, that's the capital, there are a lot of small crews which are actually doing very adventurous uh, bookings. Uh, for, uh, sometimes they lose money, but, but they, they are enthusiastic. They, they try to, to push boundaries. It, my problem at the moment is I don't have that much time. I'm busy with, luckily I'm busy with my gigs, I have so many projects in, in mind, I'm actually always catching up with, uh, with uh, deadlines, always late. So the on only reason I still haven't contributed much uh, to the scene is that uh, I'm not available. But I'm trying to make time. In the past two years I take a couple of months break so I can focus in studio, so I can focus in meeting people in my own hometown. So it's, it's coming, it's just uh, slower than, than what I, what I uh, thought. You do host kind of um, like events every now and then, and you play them anonymously and stuff. What I do in Bulgaria is uh, once a year, I do a big event. I play for my good friends called Metropolis. That's probably the, the biggest and the best promoter for, for techno music in Sofia, in Bulgaria. Uh, 
And then uh, every weekend, uh, sorry, every month I have a free weekend. It's very intense what I do, so in order to survive, I try to have some time at home. So let's say every month I have a free weekend, probably every second month uh, I go to a small venue in Sofia and uh, me and my friends, still the same DJ crew, uh, we do kind of unannounced events. We still mention it somehow on the web, so uh, the people are coming. Uh, so I, I'm still kind of participating. However, I don't feel like I'm helping the, the scene enough and I hope I will find time for this in the future. I'm curious about this uh, period in your life when you're kind of totally obsessed with this music but not yet professional. I mean, what did your life look like around that time? Like how, how much of your day were you dedicating to music and in what, in what way? Yeah, in the beginning for me this music was, uh, was a religion. I didn't know, talking about the 90s, I didn't have much information, I didn't know how the, the artists uh, look like, I didn't know how they would perform their music. I didn't even know how a real DJ set looked like. <laughs> and all that, that, that mystery gained my curiosity, so I was really obsessed with it. Yeah, when I was in school uh, in the 90s, I haven't got the budget to buy any, any equipment, so I would basically uh, try to, to modify the sound or make the sound with anything I can find at, at home. Uh, for example, I had this turntable and I was trying to scratch, uh, but when I listened to the hip-hop mixes, I realized that when the, the hip-hop DJs, when they scratch, they uh, cut the sound with something. I didn't know there is a, there's supposed to be a mixer in the chain. And I was wondering how, how they are able to cut the sound. So what I did is, I cut the cable going to the speaker, and I was touching <laughs> both ends of the cable, so that's how I was you know, making the sound going through. And so on and so on. Um, I met, also in the early to mid-90s, I met these guys, they wanted to make hip-hop music. And uh, they had gear. And by gear I mean they had a dual cassette recorder. <laughs> so they would give me some tapes, with some, some uh, tapes with hip-hop music, and I would find uh, a clean, clean drum loops. And I would extend the drum loops by playing the clean drum loop from one cassette recording on a second, then rewinding back the, 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 the first cassette on the place where the drum loop starts, playing it back again, recording, and that's how I would you know, extend the loop. And then I would scratch with my homemade uh, crossfader by touching the, <laughs> the cable, and so on. So how much time it would take, I don't know. I would, I would use any, any moment to, to do this. What did your parents think of all this? Uh, well, the, the music I was listening to, they, they would say, yeah, this is, it sounds like horses uh, running around. <laughs> and uh, and uh, our neighbor from, from the same floor, she was a very friendly woman, a friend of our family. Uh, but I remember one time she came and she said, you know what, there is something wrong with your washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> um. I read that your studio is in your mum's house, is that still the case? I just moved it out, literally, literally uh, five, six days ago. So was that in the house that you were born in? Like that you grew yeah, up in? not born in, uh, right. me and my family, we moved in, it's a flat. We moved in uh, that flat in 1984. And my studio was in my childhood room since, 90, since you know, I've been living there since 94, so... Uh, I was able to, to start building up some sort of studio maybe in the mid-2000s, late-2000s. 
Before it was just uh, uh, torturing neighbors with just a pair of speakers. And, and, uh, so that's and nice. You, live, you lived elsewhere, but you'd be able to come home, see your mom. No, I always lived there. I, I actually, okay. now we did a swap. So my, my mom lives in a place very nearby, maybe five minutes walk. So at the moment, I'm still there with my wife. Uh, for years, we say it's a temporary solution. But <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your production. You said that um, tracks and ideas for tracks come to you in everyday life. Um, when you're walking around, I guess when you're performing on stage. I mean, do you have a process for remembering these ideas? Uh, in the very, very beginning, I used to uh, somehow visualize the tracks because for, many, for, for a very big period of time, I haven't got gear, I haven't got a chance to produce. So uh, when I started to record, my, my first recordings were uh, since probably 1998. At that time, I haven't got any gear, so I was visiting my friends who had compu a computer. Also, I used to go to my father's office, he used to have a computer. And uh, I would just uh, use my one hour or two hours to, to make some loops and record them straight to tape. Uh, but I was not able to do this every day, so I would plan, I would imagine stuff. And uh, then I would go and just quickly record something. Actually, like a lot of people used to do in the 90s when it was expensive to uh, rent a studio. So you just go to the studio for two hours and you do your best shot. So that was in the beginning. Uh, and. Uh, then I had my first computer in the year 2000, I think. And uh, I was using this uh, it's a modular software. It's called Buzz, like B-U-Z-Z. -Z. And the way you make music with it, you don't play the music. You, you, you type uh, codes in a hexadecimal system. That means numbers and letters. And then you get some sound out of it. So it was a very boring process. It was just programming sound. And uh, for, for a very long period of time, my music was very programmed with, with a high uh, detail in it. Uh, but it also was very square. You count to four and something happens. Then you count to eight and something happens again. Because I was not playing the music, I was uh, writing it. And actually, since I started to play live, that was a big eye-opener. Uh, because when I'm on stage, I don't count. I'm just dancing, uh, and at some point I feel, okay, now it's time to remove the kick drum, okay, now it's time to play something I have in my mind. And it was never uh, in a, such a square structure, it was more natural. And since I started doing it on stage, I thought, why I don't apply this uh, in my studio? So now my approach is less, uh, less mathematical, and it's more, more physical, and more natural. Um, but you said the actual process in the studio is quite cold, like you go in there It just used to... to be, exactly, it used okay, to be. right. It used to be, I think the time when I said that, I, I still used that platform when I was uh, programming the music. Uh, but now, uh, since maybe the past two, three years, it changed big time. So now it's more of uh, playing music. How often will you be in the studio? It used to be every day because it's like almost every day when I'm not in the road. Because obviously it was uh, it was in the same the same building, uh, but from now on, let's see. I guess I'm I'm always gonna be there as much as I can because it's my uh, way to relax as well. We have this uh, these fights with my wife when I come back from uh, from the weekend. I'm I'm so tired and, and always she says she's excited to see me. I am excited to see her as well, but uh, but I am consumed. I don't have energy to, to do anything. I don't have energy to, to meet people <laughs> as much as I love them. 
And I tell her, I'm really sorry, but I need my time off. I just need to be alone. And then I switch on my machines. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's not only, it's not only uh, the job, it's not only I have a release schedule. I really love doing it, and it's, uh, it's my way of, of uh, relaxing. And it, it doesn't mean that I have to have, uh, doesn't have to be productive all the time. Sometimes I just jam and I don't have to record it. It's my way of healing from, from uh, being awake for 72 hours and so on. Um, how else do you look after yourself on the road? I have to take care of myself better. I don't have this uh, healthy lifestyle. I, I think I'm in, I'm in a strange situation because I don't, uh, I don't take uh, any substances to, to, to help me to keep going. But at the same time, uh, I don't... Uh, take a good care of what I eat. I still drink a bit, so I have this... I don't have anything that can help me out to, to, to handle this, uh, uh, this life better. So the natural way is to, to start doing sports and eating healthier. You know, we are not perfect. <laughs> you said yourself you're a fan and a dancer, first and foremost. I mean, has being a producer and getting to know all this different gear made you appreciate the music of some of your favorite artists even more? Yeah, for me, first of all, it was uh, understanding uh, the sound design, and um, I'm not I'm not a classically trained musician, so my school for making music was not understanding uh, the classic composers or understanding the music theory. For me, it was understanding how to make music like uh, like Larry Heard, like Kevin Saunderson, like Derek May. So uh, in the very beginning, I was uh, trying to copy them. First of all, not by using gear, just using, using software, but trying to understand the basics of, uh, of sound design. And uh, I read a really interesting interview with, uh, with a great producer called Kirk DiGiorgio. He was saying the same thing. He said he, he was trying to copy his favorite records, but obviously he was, he was getting there, but he was not able to reproduce the sound in the same way. So he was coming up with something original by trying to, to, to copy his, uh, his favorite recordings. I guess that's what happened uh, with me, you know, uh, uh, trying to understand the process of, of uh, making sounds. I stumbled across something else. And then uh, being able to, to buy gear, it just expanded more, more, uh, more options. And um, I, I started to build my uh, modular synthesizer system maybe four or five years ago. And, uh, as much as I found this, uh, this platform is not very practical uh, for uh, on stage and sometimes in the studio, it makes you very slow, but it was a very big eye-opener how, how to actually, what is the, the path of the sound, what is the path of the, of the modulations. Learning how, how my favorite artists uh, were doing it uh, is inspiring, it's fun, and uh, that's my, my school, not, not uh, studying composition, but, but studying how my heroes uh, made this music. How many pieces of gear do you own? It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's nothing too crazy. I know people like uh, Matty Johnson, for example, he has a crazy uh, studio. I don't know. I have a pretty big modular synthesizer system. Uh, I've always been focused on buying new gear. I'm not that much a uh, fan of the classic gear. I mean, as, as, as long as I have the Roland TR-909, my favorite drum machine, I have the EMU SP1200, that's, uh, that's a drum-focused uh, sampler which does something magical with the sound. But generally, I'm, I'm really interested in new developments because I'm not, 
I'm not that young, but, but I started as a producer with, with my computer, so I'm rather more open to new technology than, than to the classics. So I, I rather buy new stuff. Would you say you're addicted to buying new technology? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's crazy. I, I managed to cure myself from the, from the modular addiction. I've heard that serious. Uh, yes, but now I am back to buying uh, uh, pre-configured synthesizers because I, what I found is when you buy uh, a pre-configured unit, if it's done very uh, smartly, uh, it makes you very fast by transferring your idea from your head to, to, to the recording. And uh, I really, really, I, I need help. <laughs> I, I, uh, I am online looking for new machines all the time. And uh, when I find something, especially if it's not cheap, I, I talk to my, to Constantine, my, my studio partner now, and I, or I talk to my wife, expecting that she would say, you know, don't buy it. And, but she says, are you happy? Does it make you happy? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> buy it then. I'm like, no, that's not the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> um, how often will a new piece of gear enter your live setup on the road? Uh, I have, as I said, for me it's very important to have a very simple system on stage. I came up with my, uh, uh, with the philosophy how I play my music maybe nine years ago. So I have my computer, which is the brain of everything. Uh, I have a MIDI keyboard, I have a drum machine, and I have uh, those two devices called Launchpad by Novation. And I use this system since nine years ago. So this is the core. I, I want to have, I, I have a system which is similar to having a mixer and two decks. Because once you play with this system for many years, you develop some sort of muscle memory. You don't think of the performance anymore. You just, you just go for it. But still, I want to, I want to go out of my comfort zone. So every month or every two months, there is a piece of, uh, normally there is a synthesizer which, which I change. Every two months, I bring something new. So I have the, the core, but there is a unit which I replace every two months. You mentioned your wife there, Rachel Rowe. Uh, she's yes. a singer-songwriter from Bulgaria. That's correct, yes. Does having someone with, I mean, is she professionally trained? She is, yes. Is, is having someone with that kind of ear and that kind of uh, expertise helpful to your own music making? Uh, yes, it's very helpful because what I found for, for, for myself and a lot of uh, friends of mine who are not classically trained, uh, we tend to, when we, when, when we make a melody, we tend to stick to very simple uh, chord progressions and very obvious chord progressions because uh, we don't know the rules. We make something basic and it sounds right and we are afraid to go out of it because <laughs> we put such a big effort and finally we get something that sounds right. And uh, when you have someone who is classically trained on your side, this person can tell you, yeah, but, but maybe, uh, maybe you, can, you can try something else which is uh, less uh, safer. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's what I found for, for people like me who are not classically trained. Sometimes you fall in a trap where you just repeat the same formula because you don't know better. And uh, it's nice to have people around you which, are, which can push you to go out of, your, of, of these uh, boundaries. Um, I think we're nearing the end, but just quickly, you know, you're someone who's always buying new gear, you're always looking to progress, you're always doing new things, you're playing a jungle set here, you're DJing vinyl there, you know, you're, you're never sitting still. But what does, the, you know, what does kink the artist look like 
in the bigger picture in the future? Like, where is this going to go? I never had a plan, but uh, what I would love to achieve is to create uh, original music, which I think I still haven't done. So I think that's what it's about to come. I would love to create uh, completely original music. Um, wish me good luck with that. <laughs> and you mentioned just, just before we started talking that you're interested in teaching something maybe once you, you know, hang up your touring boots. Yeah, I, have, I think I have a very, uh, very good experience at uh, breaking through, uh, making it out from, from a, a place where it's, it's nearly impossible to, uh, to become a professional underground uh, artist. I, I, I tried pretty much every possible format of uh, performing music live, so I think I have a good uh, experience. And uh, I guess at some point when I'm not going to be able or I'm not going to want to travel that much, I would love to teach uh, what I know. And what we are doing right now, it's helping me a lot because, as I say, I used to be very shy. And now talking to, to all of you helps me out to, uh, to fight my limitations. And, yeah, who knows what, what comes in the future. Um, thank you very much. So a warm round of applause. Thank you all. Thank you very much.